Well, this is hard. Sex is a powerful thing. The sexual revolution that, I don't know, you can go back to the 60s, keeps getting ramped up more and more. Families are becoming more fractured. And this is part of our task as Christians to help people who are struggling with these matters, and then also to present to our children and to our church a better way. Welcome to Footnotes with Dr. Tony Caffey. I'm your host, Adam Casalino. With me, as always, is Pastor Tony. It's good to see you again, Tony. Hey, Adam. Back in Proverbs, huh? That's right. And we have a pretty boring topic today to discuss. No. Not that important. Just skip on out. No. Uh, Riveting. It's riveting. (laughs) Riveting and important, which is why Proverbs devotes so much time to it. Yeah. We're in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 35. And Solomon had talked about this several times already, about sexual sin, adultery, and now he's once again back at it, narrowing in on specifically, although it's broader than that, but specifically adultery, um, sleeping with another person's spouse, and so on, and of course, uh, the tremendous danger of that. Um, And you had three points. Uh, The first one was the remedy for sexual sin is instruction, and... You, you know, mentioned this during your message that he starts off with instruction before he gets into the warnings. Yep. And what's interesting is you opened with some stats about uh, how Americans, I guess, have perceptions of sex that are, in many cases, divergent from Scripture. We lack instruction. Would you would you say it that way, Adam? Absolutely. And um, it was, you know, I've heard some of those statistics before, but now, like, with the passage of time, they just get worse and worse. Yeah. And it's clear that even, you know, it's better for Christians, but even Christians tend to have this lax view of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think that's becoming such a big problem? Why, you know, why are even Christians kind of like, hmm? Well, this is hard. Uh, Sex is a powerful thing, and the sexual revolution that, I don't know, you can go back to the 60s, and as the start of that, it just keeps getting ramped up more and more. You know, I, I was a child of the 90s, and... I remember even then hearing about the negative things, the the drift, the Mm. ways in which young people are just defying biblical ethics. And um, I mean, that was was 30 years ago, Adam. So uh, we just keep going down that road. Um, Families are becoming more fractured. Uh, We're seeing more and more sexual dysfunction and struggles, even as married couples deal with um, issues related to their past. So, I mean, on this side of eternity, we're going to deal with brokenness. We're Mm -hmm. going to deal with uh, these kinds of things. And this is part of our task as Christians to to help people who are struggling with Mm -hmm. these matters or who have a bad history, and then also to present to our children and to our church a better way. And I would even say to the world, here's a better way and a better ethic for, for sex. Absolutely. And in keeping with the passage, you emphasize to parents their role in teaching their children. And it might be that some parents think that's the job of the church or maybe even youth group or Sunday school, but we see in Scripture, Solomon writes... schools, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Big (laughs) red flag. Don't trust public schools on this topic, guys. Um, But you encourage parents to talk with their kids and to continue this conversation as they grow. Uh, and you even mentioned several passages of Scripture. I'm going to go quickly list them again for those who may yeah. want to write it down. Genesis 2, Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 7, Hebrews 13, 4, 
1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, and of course the book of Song of Solomons, which you said, you know, at the appropriate time. Um, I found it interesting that these weren't just warnings against uh, sexual sin, but also some of these mentioned the, the good part of sex, the biblically ordained part yep. of sex. Um, are there any other resources that parents can look to that you know of um, that can help them with this? Not offhand. I, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used a book that was kind of, uh, you know, from A to Z, how to t- walk your child through uh, through the basics of sexuality. So, and I remember being a little too old for the book because hmm. when she we were looking at the images, she was talking about it. Maybe it was more tailored for my my brother. Um, I was like, I know this already, <laughs> but I kind of didn't know everything. Mm. So it was helpful for her to kind of reinforce that with her. Uh, when I was a teenager, my dad took me on a uh, kind of a guy's event, and we had more frank conversations and uh, more one-on-one. And you know, I think that's probably better than just, hey, son, here's this book, read on it. Right. Um, but uh, I was a part of a church that was a biblical church, so my pastor did a series on love and sexuality. My youth pastor did a series on love, sex, and marriage. So I had uh, the right ideas, the right training, the right, uh, you know, uh, instruction Mm -hmm. as a young person. Probably what we should say in this is that not everybody has that, right, right, Adam? I mean, you and I had good experiences in church, maybe Mm -hmm. uneven, but still Mm -hmm. uh, mostly positive. Uh, Some people grow up in very broken homes. Some people grow up without the Lord, without a church, and so their first exposure to the issues of sex and sexuality come from the world or Mm. come from, you know, ungodly parents or come from whatever, come from their baseball team where (laughs) kids were talking about it in really Mm. crass ways. Um, So in instances like that, the instruction needs to come later, and the church still has a role in that. People get saved. Here's God's view of sex. Here's where you need repentance, you need restoration, you need maybe forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be a part of the equation as well, because not everybody who's part of Verse by Verse Fellowship or the local church mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, saved and baptized before uh, they're teenagers and mm-hmm. then and then have the, the, the good exposure to, to Christian teaching on this. Absolutely. Um, Solomon used very interesting language here, and you mentioned is reminiscent of the Psalms about how, you know, instruction is almost like a person. And you even said, like, have this conversation with wisdom and instruction. Right. Is that merely personification, or do you think there's some deeper significance to that, you know, connecting to the Word of God? And... Well, the pronouns change. So there's uh, the two Hebrew words that are used for instruction. Uh, what is it? No, it's the commandment of the Father mm-hmm. uh, in verse 20, and then the Torah of the Mother. So they will lead you. But then it switches from the they to uh, she or it. It's mm. the same pronoun in uh, in Hebrew. So I do think there's a shift from, let's say, the, the collective concepts of wisdom and mm. instruction to 
to she or to it. What is the it? Well, it's it's kind of the thread all the way throughout this mm. this section, chapters one through nine, of Lady Wisdom. Right. Lady Wisdom is there. She's a conversation partner. Mm. You know, my instruction and your mom's Torah are wrapped up in wisdom. Mm. So let her be your conversation partner. She will be with you as you walk. She will converse with you. And at the end of, I think, verse 22, there's that kind of dialogical side of it, and uh, which is fascinating too, because Solomon, uh, as he's talking about, you know, the instruction of him and the mother, like this will be a conversation partner for you for years to come, and that and that's a theme we see throughout the book of Proverbs is that you bless your children with wisdom, mm-hmm. you bless the your, your children with your own voice in their head telling them, you know, when they're tempted to sin, mm-hmm. don't do that, don't do something stupid, yeah, and that. Uh, idea is reinforced right there in verse 22. She'll she'll talk with you, Lady Wisdom. We'll talk with you. When you sleep, she'll be there with you, talking with you. You'll have an opportunity to meditate and mm-hmm. and uh, bring up the ideas that I've given to you. So that's... And actually, that's going to elevate even more uh, in Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 9, when mm-hmm. you see this, like, this, this battle royale between mm-hmm. Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom, and Solomon's going to present this contrast... Like, here's two roads for you, son. You can do the way of stupid, or you can do the way of wisdom. Let mm-hmm. me advocate one final time for Lady Wisdom and why you need her in your life. Right. Absolutely. So the next passage is when he gets into the nitty-gritty of what he's wanting to talk about, about the temptation, and your second point was the power of sexual sin is temptation. Mm-hmm. And... You you mentioned something really interesting. I wanted you know if we could discuss. Uh, I wrote down if you can win the battle of your heart, you win. And so much sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? <laughs> where did it come from? Um, yeah. And you know, so much of uh, I think Christians' approach to this particular area is external. Yeah. You know, putting a block on my phone or this or that, which all are all smart things to do. Mm-hmm. But how should a person who's who's wrestling with this on some level think about it from a heart perspective? Good question. And and I do just marvel at the language here being very reminiscent of what Jesus says about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nature of our sinfulness flowing out of our heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so behavior modification has its place, and I'm, I'm actually a strong advocate for filters. I mm-hmm. think there's times when it's almost like the Jekyll and the Hyde mm-hmm. for a lot of Christian men, especially, where like we want to do the right thing, but temptation gets the best of us, and mm-hmm. we go go crazy, and that's when those uh, kind of guards put in place can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, but I think your point is right, and and I think the battle really begins with 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 the heart. Do we want the things of God more than we want our sin? Mm-hmm. So uh, you and I, as well as our our preaching guild has been reading through Desiring God, mm-hmm. John Piper, and and he makes a strong case for that. You know, when we're dealing with matters of sin, when we're dealing, let's say, pornography, because that's a pretty common issue with men, or uh, the draw for adultery with a coworker, whether that's you know a woman with a man or a man with a woman, um, you know, you you've got to want in your heart to please God more than to satisfy your flesh. Mm-hmm. That that desire has to be strong enough to battle the the Jekyll and Hyde within you. Which one was it that was the the crazy 
Mr. Hyde. Doctor Jekyll was the good doctor. Okay, the Mr. Hyde with yeah. inside of you, <laughs> and um, and I think that's that's reinforced by what Jesus says. That that has to do with cultivating. I think uh, a King David kind of loving the Lord with all of your heart mm. and the depth of your being, and so it can't just be a list of rules. I'm yeah. going to be a good Christian boy, so I got rule one, two, three, four, five, and six, mm-hmm. and then that'll be good because. You know, rules have their place, but it, 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 the rules need to get inside of the deepest part of our desires and our wants and the volitional fortitude that we have inside of us to, in the midst of a temptation, we want to please God more than we want to, to chase sin. Yeah. So why don't you take a stab at that? Like, why, why is that such an important part of our battle with sin, mm-hmm. uh, Adam, getting, getting to the heart? Yeah, well, I, I thought I've talked about this before, but in, in my own learning about this particular sin and overcoming it, I've realized like the externals are like putting a cast over a broken bone, right? Like you need that cast or like a bandage over a womb. Yeah. If you don't do that, it's only going to get worse. So that has its place, like accountability partners or filters on your phone or whatever. Yes. Those are necessary. But those are only necessary when the body itself is healing. Like, I could put a Band-Aid on a wound, but if it's not healing, the Band-Aid can't heal it. It could protect it. It could keep the infection away, or it could prevent the bone from, like, holding it, splitting or whatever. But then there needs to be this internal healing taking place, and that's the heart issue. And I've seen with the men I've talked with, I've seen in my own life, like, the temptation to, for sexual sin is almost like the end of a, of a longer process. And at the end of it, it could be something seemingly unrelated, you know, like a godly man who's either single and wants to be pure or married, they don't wake up in the morning going, I'm going to cheat on my wife, or like, I'm going to stumble into this sin. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's almost like breadcrumbs the enemy lays for us, or the word lays for us, where like, I get frustrated over this thing, and then I have an argument with my wife, or like, you know, a bad day at work. And then instead of turning to the Lord for the, the guidance, for, you know, forgiveness in this area, or for the strength... Over, eventually, we look for fleshly things to comfort us, which could very well lead to sin, to that sin. Um, so if we're looking at it from that heart perspective, like, okay, it's, I'm not, you know, as I'm maturing in Christ, I'm not just like raging with lust. Some people might at the start be like that, like when they first come to Christ, there's all this stuff like that because they're so used to that. But it's like, I want to be pure, I want to be holy, but there's this trap set for me. And if I look at the beginning of the trap and recognize it there at the heart, then I won't end up in a terrible situation where I'm remorseful and, yep. and, and beat up. Um, That's good. I like the cast analogy, mm-hmm. and I can see some of your biblical counseling training coming yeah. through what you're describing there. So let's, this is kind of dangerous, but let's flip, flip the script okay. and talk about the way maybe a woman mm. would struggle and gravitate towards temptation and how she can guard yeah. her heart. So I'll, just as an analogy that I've heard from other pastors and I've actually seen as a pastor is, you know, a woman maybe isn't getting the kinds of affirmation that she mm. desires at home. Maybe right. she's working, maybe she's not, but she goes to a location where men, uh, either in her workplace or in some other community group, give affirmation to her, you know, uh, scratch an itch that, mm. that's been there for a while that her husband isn't meeting, and then all of a sudden a temptation starts to form, mm-hmm. and she starts desiring that. How does a woman battle uh, that temptation in a moment like that. Yeah, it it is very different, but there's similar paths. I think men, it might be 
quicker for them to fall into sin, especially with pornography, because our society is so welcoming of it, welcoming of it these days, yep. and it's so easily accessible. It's uh, ubiquitous. It's everywhere, and, yeah. and there's a very lax attitude towards it, mm-hmm. even though secular groups talk about how damaging it is these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a woman, it might not be that fast. It might be over a longer process, like you described. I still think it's a matter of the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's a situation where a woman is, is not getting the affection she needs in the home, right. that's where it needs to start. And human nature, and I even know this in my own self, when we're offended, we tend to become kind of defensive and resentful, like, oh, they're not, he doesn't love me? Well, fine. And then it can go down that, I'm going to find affection elsewhere. And so there is something to be said about, in, at least in a marriage, that vulnerability where like if one spouse isn't being appreciated to be vulnerable enough and say, listen, I'm your, in this case, wife, I'm not getting what I need from you, however you want to say it, and deal with it at that level, which is difficult. Our flesh doesn't always want to do that because it involves forgiveness, kind of getting over ourselves. But if it's, you know, if the end result is adultery, then a woman, just like a man, needs to be alert enough to say, okay, I'm feeling neglected by my husband on some level. This man in this you know, group or whatever is showing me affection. That feels so good. But wait a minute. I have to be aware enough and honest enough to recognize what's happening here. And that I think even that includes a, time, a kind of repentance, just yeah. like where the man is frustrated about something and it could lead to seeking indulgence in sex. At that moment, he has to deal with it, and it could involve repentance and, and, and confession to the Lord. The woman would have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think in both cases, it requires a, a level of honesty about our hearts that I don't think everyone knows how to do. That's why we have counseling, and that's why we the Word of God plays a major role in that, where we have to take a step back and reflect on how we're feeling, uh, even sometimes throughout the day, and, and turn that over to the Lord. And I think that's a big part of sanctification in general, is being willing to be honest with, with, with ourselves, with how we feel, with what's going on. And if we're not clear to say, Lord, I need help, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, because we don't know what's around the corner. It could be for that woman, a man ready to seduce her, or it could just be years of just drifting from her husband. But if we say, Lord, I need help. Something's not right. I don't feel right. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. Uh, the Lord is faithful to do that. And yep. so for men and women, I mean, and even you said it in your passage, Lord, change my heart to desire better things. Yeah. And and let's go back to that analogy with the woman. I, I think a woman in that moment where she isn't getting what she wants from her husband, what she's actually owed, yeah. um, and she's desirous of that, maybe outside the place, and that's the temptation, there needs to be in that moment, a crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, fill the deepest needs of my heart mm. that maybe I'm not getting from my husband and that I'm I'm going after other people yeah. in a sinful, dishonoring way to you. Would you meet that? And similarly, the man who's struggling, likewise, you know, you could, you could talk about it in the context of a marriage that mm-hmm. maybe isn't working quite right. You could talk yeah. about it from a, from a singleness perspective, somebody who wants to be married and isn't. In all of those scenarios, those individuals have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, there's this desire inside of me that's put by you and is a good thing, and yet I'm, I'm looking for maybe some sinful or some mm-hmm. bad ways to fill it. Yeah. Lord, would you fill that? Would yeah. you, you know, fulfill the deepest desires of my heart or compensate for what I'm missing with, mm. with, with something that is so potent, so strong, so intimate with you that, um, that I can be at rest? Yeah. So... That's a good prayer. I've mm-hmm. prayed that as a single person, as a married person, and 
And I can't say I've always chosen the right path out of a, a kind of a self-pitying state mm. of, you know, woe is me. I, it's, <laughs> it's not the way it should be. But yeah. um, I think that's the way for it. It's got to be because where else are you going to go in a situation like that? If, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to justify pornography or you're, you're going to justify adultery, you're going to justify some kind of sin to meet that desire in your heart where God is saying, no, that desire is there. You know, I'm not saying it's not, but you need to meet that with healthier mm. ways, in healthier ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that, as you said, this is such a powerful, critical issue that we can't afford not to do that. You yeah. know, even if a person is not struggling, but the temptation is there always to be praying that kind of prayer. Um, now, yeah. Solomon loves to use this very colorful language. Yeah, and he of does. Of course, here he's, he's using this analogy of fire in his, a man's lap. Yeah. Um, can he scoop up fire and not be burned? And it's it's almost like he's not like... My mind mine goes to like STDs. Like, <laughs> it's like, do you think he was think talking about that? Because it's like, they existed back then too. Maybe they weren't as aware of it. But yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. this idea of fire in your lap makes me immediately think of like, look out. Sin has consequences. Yeah. And we live in the New Testament era where we are saved by grace, and uh, God's grace can, uh, you know, cover over the multitude of our sins and our misdeeds. But there, I mean, it it doesn't always remove the consequences of our sin. So uh, divorces still happen. We still have dysfunctional relationships that result from sexual sin. We still have STDs. We still have... Uh, you know, pregnancies out of wedlock, which God totally can can still, uh, you know, use that maybe difficult situation for good. Mm-hmm. He always does, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, the, you'll still get burned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's still a place I think as a pastor, and I I did it this li- last week to say, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't get burned. Yeah. Yes, there's grace, but still there's consequences. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So you had a wonderful thing at the end of this section where you're talking about the best weapon for married couples or each other. Yeah, First Corinthians seven. Exactly. And just a quick question: You talked about the Puritans and their their situation. Were there <laughs> New Testament Christians who similarly had this issue where they're like, "We're married, but no, 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 we should abstain." I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the Corinthians that was a dysfunctional church, right? Yes. They were getting drunk at communion. Mm. Uh, I get the sense that some of the the women in the congregation were out of control and mm. and kind of bossing the leaders around. So if you read the First Corinthians, you know it's like angry Paul <laughs> trying to deal with all the the dysfunction within the church. Yeah. So something must have been there where he had to tell the men, you know, have sex with your wives, <laughs> and the women have sex with your your husbands. Yeah. Um, or, you know, and maybe I'm overstating the case, maybe it's just preventative. Like, mm. you know, it's a Corinthian culture, that adjective is there for a reason, because mm-hmm. Corinth was a crazy, yeah. uh, sexually per- permissive place. There was a lot of sin. Even later in Corinthians, Paul talks about those who had come out of homosexual lifestyles. Mm. So homosexuality was prevalent, even pederasty, I think is the, the right term, where there was pedophilia that was mm. common in the, that ancient world. So, you know, all the sexual sins, you got a culture that's just bathed in it, in kind of that Roman ethos. And he says, what's the remedy for this? You mm. guys are married, you know, take care of each other so yeah. that you're not wandering into temptation. And, you know, our I think it's fair to say that our modern-day American world is Corinthian to its core. Oh, we yeah. got 
we got sin problems everywhere. And as a pastor of a church with with uh, a lot of married folk, I want to tell the married couples in our church, you know, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, this is real. Help each other, take care of each other. In some instances, that might not be possible hmm. um, for, for whatever reason, but in most instances, that's the right and healthy and good way to deal with sexual temptation. Yeah. And, and that's smart, because we may not have the same, like, puritanical strangeness, but... That should be a priority in a married married couple's life to the extent that they can, and it's it's wise um, to emphasize that. That that passage probably needs just a little bit of nuance to, like, mm. it, you know, and and the, the counseling world. It's it's not going to be super helpful for you as a man or a woman to say, "Thou shalt have sex with <laughs> yeah, me because I'm absolutely. struggling." You know, we can do better than that in mm. terms of the way that we woo and the way that we romance, and you know. Song of Solomon, there's a lot of that in there where there's there's love and tenderness dis- displayed to one another even before the sex act. Mm-hmm. So so be careful with that. <laughs> I guess I'm yeah, I need to be careful maybe quoting it and just throwing it out yeah. there to for people to use. No, I mean, uh, sex on demand is not the best way to think of that. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's okay, we love each other, let's take care of each other, let's be good stewards of this gift that we've mm-hmm. given, and let's Let's uh, be preventative in, in the struggle with adultery that's, that's going to be there. Yeah. So men, woo your wives, wives, woo your husbands, love each other, care for each other, and that'll serve you well in this battle against temptation. Absolutely. So your final point was the consequences of sexual sin, of course, is retribution. Um, and of course, the passage is very uh, you know, intense about what a jilted husband might yep. do to a man who who takes his wife, and he even says, you can multiply gifts. You could try to bribe your way out of this or pay your way out of this. That's not going to be enough. Right. And there's even almost a threat of, like, you might lose your life because of this. And as you quoted, the Old Testament law demanded the death of adulterers. Um, how does that relate to today? Yep. Because, you know, if a man's looking at pornography, there's no husband involved, or you know, we don't have the right to kill a man who cheats... Uh, takes our wife. So how should we look at that in today's, you know, context? I had a sense you were going to ask this question. (laughs) And I'm glad you did, because, you know, this is one of those instances where we're dealing with a 3,000-year-old text Mm -hmm. that doesn't translate to our modern era perfectly, Mm -hmm. you know. So you've got to think through uh, the the warning here and the cautions in light of the way in which our world has changed. but I think you would say that sexual sin, even if the retribution slash punishment is different in our modern day world, it's still there. There's still consequences yeah. for sin. So I see it uh, in a lot of ways in our modern day world with the the anger of young children who have seen mm. their parents' marriages fall apart because yeah. of sexual infidelity. That's a hard thing to forgive mm. in your parents, and that creates a lot of dysfunction. Um, I can see it in other ways too, where uh, okay, maybe pornography, there's no offended husband on the other end of that. Maybe there is. Mm-hmm. But I've said this before, every woman in a pornographic video has a mother, mm-hmm. and every man has a father and mother in a pornographic video. Mm-hmm. And so it, your engagement in that is violating family members mm-hmm. and violating the uh, the community ethic. And and. Actually, we could go a long ways in this direction. A lot of pornography, I think, uh, facilitates uh, issues with human trafficking. Yeah. 
I think uh, if you read books on this subject, which I have, there's a lot of drug usage that's involved mm-hmm. with some of the, the porn industry. There's a lot of violence involved in it. It's mm-hmm. a very weird world that's yeah. a lot closer to like a pimp and a prostitute than we want to admit. Yes. Um, so you're, you're complicit mm-hmm. in that yeah. when you're involved in pornography. Yep. Um, similarly, if you're Maybe you have an affair with somebody and, and let's say the husband isn't that mad because he's having an affair with somebody else. Mm. I don't think anybody would look at that situation and say, well, you know, <laughs> c'est la vie, that's yeah. great. No, mm-hmm. that's not great. You have innocent bystanders, i.e. children who are involved in that, who are uh, in, in any situation where family dynamics are mm-hmm. confused, that hurts the children. Now they don't have one father and one mother who love each other. Uh, you have... Uh, just a, a myriad of different relationships that are confusing. Uh, we have, you know, divorce issues in our world. We have, um, you know, pre premature uh, exposure to, to pornography and sexually explicit material. So there's all kinds of maybe not retribution is the right. There's all kinds of consequences mm. that are wrapped up in this sexual sin. Uh, not to mention. Issues with abortion, issues with um, sex outside of marriage leading to unwanted pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the way that I would argue it in our modern day era. Right. Okay. So we, a cuckold can't take a person to court and have them put to death. Mm -hmm. Still, uh, sex outside of marriage is a bad idea. Absolutely. And as you described it, the consequences are far greater than just one mad man. And they, yep. you still could have a mad man come after you. That still happens. Outside the law. Yes. But as you ex- explained, families and all these horrifying consequences that you can't just ignore. Um, and even as you said, children being exposed. You know, when I was a kid, I was kept away from that because I was in a Christian home. But I had a friend in school who had an older brother and had all that stuff. And that, that family didn't care. And as a very young child, he saw... All his, all the smut, and as well as like horror movies, all this crap. And he would tell us about it, and we're like, we it didn't make sense to us because we never saw it. But to him, yeah. at a very young age, exposed to all this awful garbage, and it had an effect on him even at that age. And so, the consequences are very real. And as Christians, we need to take that seriously for our sake, as well as for families, and perhaps even people we may not realize would be affected by it. Um, yeah, the average age for exposure to pornography is twelve. Yeah. For uh, young boys. Mm-hmm. So that's from CovenantEyes.com uh, if you want to. I think it's .com.org. That's a great place to go if you're interested in uh, software that would help protect your family from mm-hmm. some of these things. But yeah, I mean, 12 years old, that's, that's yeah. in most cases, that's prepubescent mm-hmm. boys being exposed to that. That's that's scary. That's the world we live in. I have seen, this, so let's not just be you know negative about this. Yeah. You mentioned that there's some secular uh, organizations now that are starting to point mm-hmm. out the dangers of pornography. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess as Christians, we want to look at that and say, hurrah, mm-hmm. let's let's keep mm-hmm. doing that. Yep. And and there's a sense in me that, you know, this is kind of the, you know, get off my lawn, Tony, who's like, duh, you know, we've been mm-hmm. talking about this as, as mm-hmm. Christians for years. Now they're coming around, but uh, but let's not be self-righteous. Let's Let's join them in that fight against pornography, and and let's advocate where we can. I, I showed that, shared that st- statistic this last Sunday that 91% of Americans think extramarital affairs are a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Only 9% think it's fine. Well, I mean, 
good. I yeah. mean, that's that's not. I mean, it's higher than it should be, but that statistic lets us know that most people think that adultery is wrong. Yeah. Good. Let's let's work with that, and you know, let's let's go Christological here. Let's leverage that to direct people towards Christ who forgives even the worst of sins, even Mm -hmm. uh, violations of the seventh commandment. Absolutely, yeah. I wanted to end on that note that those there's plenty of people who are listening who've had messes in their past, and the good news is in Christ we're forgiven. Yes. He has washed us clean, and in Him we can now walk. It's like we're new people. We don't have to carry that baggage into our lives now. We're brand new. We could today seek the Lord, find His grace, and be free from that and walk in purity. And so that's something we we never forget, and this is why we do this, is because in Christ we're free from this and we have this new life in Him. Amen to that. 1 Corinthians 6, I'll share this passage tonight for our uh, discussion on the topic that you and I are working with, but uh, such were some of you yeah. uh, talking about idolaters and homosexual sin and sexual impurity. Uh, all, the whole gamut of sins was was active, at least previously, in mm-hmm. the Corinthian church. Yeah. And Paul says, such were some of you, but you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. you've been sanctified, you are increasingly distancing yourself from those yep. sins that are so prevalent. Yep. Praise God for that. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Tony, for being here as always, and thank you for watching. Um, the sermon, of course, is available on this channel, as well as vbvf.org, as well as all the other episodes of the podcast. See you next time.